Kate Headley, one of the directors at The Clear Company. Welcome to this series of podcasts, Let's Be Clear. 2020 has exposed the opportunity for an inclusion explosion in the workplace, but are we really at risk of an exclusion epidemic as we've never known it? The Clear Company's team of consultants, specialists and our expert panel discuss and debate the realities of personal and professional life through the equality, diversity and inclusion lens. So, hi Ian, and welcome to the Let's Be Clear series of podcast recordings. You're really welcome. And we've got an interesting debate to have today. I'm particularly interested to discuss with you the subject of autism, the impact of COVID-19. And I know you've been doing some pretty serious studying around this area. So perhaps you could start with just explaining to us where your interest lies and, and what you've been learning recently. Yes, thank you, Kate. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this subject. I've been uh, doing a doctoral uh, degree, doctoral research degree through Cranfield University, looking at the impact of uh, autism in the workplace, both the difficulties uh, of autistic people getting recruited and then the challenges that they face once they are in the workplace. And um, I've uh, based that around three case study organisations and interviewed quite a lot of autistic people and their line managers and their HR departments to collect a triangulation of some really interesting insights into this aspect of diversity and inclusion, which is one that I think hasn't had enough attention um, in the uh, in the diversity and inclusion uh, agenda t- generally. That sounds fascinating, Ian, and I'm sure it's given you some insights during, you know, dare I say, normal life. But What's the impact specifically um, during COVID-19? Has your research managed to collect or identify any any specific insights there? Yes, it has. I've been speaking to a number uh, of autistic people that I have met through my research uh, in recent days and weeks and asking them about their experiences. And um, it's been quite fascinating and insightful to hear some of the, uh, the challenges and experiences that they've faced. So um, I'd, I'd like to take you through some of those, if uh, if that's okay. Oh, that would be fantastic. And you know, I know that we're talking about employment, and that's the key focus of the Let's Be Clear podcast. But let's be clear: the impact on people's lives outside of work has also had an impact. So we're really interested in both. Okay, great. Thanks, Kate. Well, I'll take you through some of the things. So first off, um, one of the things that's come out very strongly uh, from my uh, autistic uh, friends and colleagues is that whilst it's been the same for everyone in the sense that there's been a huge amount of uncertainty for neurodiverse people this can be incredibly uh, isolating and upsetting particularly uh, working from home i mean any change in working pattern uh, can be difficult for someone that is neurodiverse but uh, under the the levels of uncertainty that we've been facing over the last 5 or 6 months that's just added extra pressure uh, in terms of, um, of how some of these individuals have faced uh, the work uh, that they've had to do. For example, sort of the added pressure of talking on f- telephones or video calls, which might be something that they typically try and avoid. Actually, in a, in a lockdown situation, it has been almost impossible. So this has been particularly distressing uh, for some of them. And the, you know, the level of conversations and video conferences has obviously increased significantly. So that's been a challenge. Similarly, you know, some people have been having to undertake training, uh, both online and through video conferencing. And for for many autistic people, this can be 
isolating and boring. And, um, you know, the change in routine might be something that's, that really causes a, a challenge for them. I mean, one advantage is that actually quite a few neurodivergent people actually don't really enjoy uh, the commute to work being squashed in trains and the level of of closeness is something that they may find particularly uncomfortable. I guess many of us do, but for them, it's especially a challenge. So the absence of the the commute to work in a sense is a small victory, but uh, it has been uh, for many of them outweighed by many of the other challenges uh, that they face. And as a further example, the, um, the concept of wearing a mask, which has now become more of a necessity in, in, in recent days, particularly as it's become mandatory in some environments, for some autistic people, that is significantly distressing. And it goes beyond the kind of the fear of just not being able to breathe, but it is, it is very intense uh, for some of them. And uh, one of the, the people that I spoke to said that what's compounding the challenge is because they're having to operate uh, in a public environment but can't wear the mask, they've also been shamed by people who've come up to them in the street and, and criticise them for not wearing a mask without realising that actually they're not doing it because they're being cavalier about their own or anybody else's health, but um, that actually it's, it's, it really manifests itself as a significantly distressing thing that they just could not cope with. And of course, there's no understanding uh, of that from the people that, that challenge them. So um, that's an, another example where you know autism, like a lot of neurodiverse conditions, because it's a hidden disability and a hidden challenge, you know, that the levels of stress it brings to um, the people involved are, are more significant. I think the other thing that um, one of my autistic uh, contacts said to me, which was really challenging for her, was actually the, the kind of confusion and somewhat illogicality of some of the rules that have been imposed and then changed and don't necessarily kind of seem logically consistent for someone that is uh, autistic and used to a level of logic and consistency and being able to understand things, the inconsistencies of some of the public uh, announcements actually bring that with them quite a, an irrational but but you know devastatingly sort of strong sense of of unhappiness and ease because they can't they can't logic why some of these uh, instructions uh, and rules are in place. So that's that's also quite a challenge. I think, I think the other thing that uh, has come across to me is that, you know, perhaps more on a positive note, that some of the aspects of working in the office that um, some of my autistic friends find particularly difficult, the, the working environment, the, the loud noises, the bright lights, the things that, that often can cause autistic people to not even be able to sustain an employment because an employer might be not prepared to make the reasonable adjustments that they need. Obviously, being in lockdown, but certainly being working from home, you know, they've been able to remove themselves uh, from those situations and actually set up their working environment, at least to a, to a certain extent, to their, to their own satisfaction. In fact, um, slightly humorously, even from the person themselves, and, and I'm saying this with their permission, um, one autistic person uh, I was talking to said the only way she's been able to manage in the lockdown is by being able to order online exact duplicates of all of the equipment that she has on her desk at work. And she's completely mirrored it right down to having the same soft toys and pens and pencils and everything. So her desk at home 
exactly mirrors the working from home environment. So she feels a little bit more at ease than she would uh, if she was in a situation that felt like it wasn't the normal working place. So whilst there's a lot of negatives that have been created through the uncertainty for the autistic people, there are a few glimmers of opportunity and and, and positiveness. So um, it's a very interesting time for neurodiverse people generally and for autistic people specifically. Yeah, it, it definitely is, Ian. And thanks for for sharing those insights and, and for getting those insights for us and our, our listeners today. If I could just pick up on a couple of things that, that um, we can maybe delve into a little bit more deeply. There is this common myth around, isn't there, that, you know, we're working from home, we're in our own environment, which we can control, we don't have to travel to work, so the noise pollution is less, all of those things. So, there's a kind of myth out there that for somebody um, with autism, then maybe their environment has improved. But actually what you're saying is we've leapt from, you know, the challenges of face-to-face meetings, which are recognised and hopefully in, in, in more and more cases adapted to with adjustments at work and understanding and training for colleagues and all of those things into this virtual world that's actually has the same level of presenteeism and contact with each other but without the same level of of known adjustments and things that would work have you got any insights from your research in or from the people that you're talking to about how can we manage autism and and make our colleagues feel included and supported in a virtual world in a way that we're really only learning in the physical world before this happened yeah, it's a really it's a really good point and a really important observation. And I think the starting point in the virtual world has to be the starting point that it is in the actual world that we were operating when we were in the office, which is that it's really essential that there is a line manager or somebody in the office that has a good understanding of the challenges and the, and the adjustments that the autistic person requires and is able to help them navigate through that situation now in a in a physical workplace that is usually the line manager and it usually stems from a conversation which hopefully starts when somebody gets recruited and they're able to build up uh, that level of knowledge of each other there's obviously a minimum level of requirement to certain things that in an office is is required but that a line manager can then work with the autistic person to say well what bits can we adapt how can we make things work better for you and in a virtual environment, that's even more critical. And uh, you know, certainly one of the things that uh, a line manager can do is a reassure the individual and talk to them and think about what it is that they're now being asked to do that they might find difficult. So, for example, you know, more phone calls and more video conferencing when actually that's something that someone might find really uncomfortable. So, what can we do about it? You know, do you have to have your camera on? Can you join a call, but just to do it through speech? You know, are there some other ways that you can work around it? And then also, just in terms of the line manager's role to communicate and explain things to others, you know, perhaps in a team, just remind a team that's working with an autistic person that there are some things that they're particularly strong at, but there's some things that they feel less comfortable with. And for them not to forget that just because they're not meeting with the person, and not perhaps being reminded by their physical reaction to something that makes them uncomfortable, but just to, to remind them of those things that um, they need to be aware of and being understanding and being sympathetic to, to ensure that we get the best out of that person. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it is in all adjustment scenarios, isn't it? You know, that the, that the adjustment process starts with the individual. And 
that's great if the individual's in a concept that they've faced before and can sort of talk about it. But I think what we need to do better here is, is, is start talking about the impact for individuals and piecing that together as a jigsaw together because we're in unknown territory to a certain extent. And one of the things that you know I've observed during COVID is this just constant availability. Personally, we're as a family, we're shielding because of our, our, our domestic situation. So there's an assumption by the world that you're always there. Well, we might always be here, but we're not necessarily always available. So I wondered for our neurodiverse community and, and people with autism, whether that's having an impact in this, you know, last minute Zoom that, that backs onto a Skype that's just preceded by a Teams. Yeah, definitely. That is an environment which is almost guaranteed to get the worst uh, out of an autistic person. Um, a, the the lack of um, time to prepare. B, the, the 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 sort of sudden changes and the chance to not really know what's going on. The, the concept of having an agreed schedule whereby there are certain fixed hours in a day or days in a week, which are yes, we might have meetings in those times. And then on other days, no, we won't have meetings in those times. We will keep that as protected time for you to be able to do what you need to do, whether that be writing, thinking or whatever, and sticking to that as much as possible um, to reduce that level of, of, of stress and uncertainty. Because um, whilst it might be stressful and uncertain for all of us, unless you've listened to the, the lived experience and the passionate words of the autistic person, you just cannot appreciate how intense that level of discomfort is when something is is moved in the way that you've just described. So organisations could really do well to think about that. But unfortunately, from what I'm hearing, I think there's a real fear that with everything else that's going on, that the diversity and inclusion agenda might just get slipped down the priorities during um, lockdown because understandably so, you know, businesses are thinking about how they protect jobs and how they provide and, and save businesses. But the risk is that those people that um, were being relatively well looked after before might find that that attention just goes off the priorities. And, and you know, those people can be actually personally quite isolated and lonely. And again, an organisation that wants to be switched on needs to think about, well, who is it that's going to check in with those people and see whether there's extra measures that we need to put in place uh, to keep them in a good place during this unusual period. Yeah, they're all, I mean, all seriously good tips, Ian, you know, so checking in with people, blocking out that time in your diary, not moving things at the drop of a hat if you don't have to, planning and organising. And what I'm hearing is actually, you know, like many things when we're talking around um, disability, is that if we get it right for the individual, and in this in this particular scenario, the individual with autism, then we get it right for everybody because those are all things that I'm listening to thinking they would be pretty life-changing for me at the moment. Just having that planned gap where people knew that you weren't available, not having things you know come in at the drop of a hat and so on. But it's interesting because I've been doing um, a number of external interviews at a fairly senior level across lots of different sectors. And even right up to CEO level, I'm getting a really strong message of the impact on mental health from senior people um, in organisations of just working from home, which is just, you know, something that they've never experienced in their working life. You know, they've, they've always gone out the door in the morning and come back at night. And that differentiation between those different environments has been has been really critical. And I'm sure that that's the case for the people who are supporting you with this work that you're doing, Ian. I mean, in terms of the professional life, we've covered a few things that we that we need to think of. And I know we're going to come on to talk about 
where some resources might be available for people and, and what they can look out for going forward. But what about, you know, societally? What can an employer do to ensure that their colleagues aren't socially isolated as well as professionally isolated? Well, I think there's a couple of things there. And as you say, part of it is is perhaps just an extension of things that a good employer and a good line manager would do, even if it's in an office environment, which is to just a yeah, personally check in with people, but B, make sure that there are perhaps colleagues in the team. Maybe there's a buddy or someone that can just you know, have a as a sort of mental checklist. You know, I'm going to make sure I, I, you know, I take particular time to speak to person A or person B, and just see if there's anything else that they want to talk about. Perhaps you know, not work related, but just give them an opportunity to uh, to be able to express uh, how they're feeling. I think the added challenge is that um, society at large has created an environment that, as I said a bit earlier, is particularly difficult, particularly outside of work. For autistic people at the moment. So as an example, one of the people I'm speaking to you know, had real difficulty with the concept that you know, a rule was created that said if a, if a child had divorced parents, they were allowed during the lockdown, even at its strongest, to go and visit both parents. But that if you had not divorced parents, if you were you know, maybe an adult, but you weren't allowed to go and visit your over the 70 age uh, parent under any circumstance. And that the logical kind of inconsistency of that um, set of, uh, of rules for one of the autistic people I spoke to, they said they found it really upsetting and they, were, they felt they were on the verge of depression for not being able to speak to their parents and actually have gone visit their parents, I mean, under those sets of rules. And they couldn't, they couldn't understand why society and the rules were set up to, uh, to, to, to work in that way. So again, an employer or a colleague to be able to speak to the person, not necessarily to be able to explain the answers, because in some situations there is no logical reason, but to at least give them an outlet so that, you know, if there is a worry about mental well-being or stress, that they can talk to them and also perhaps remind them, you know, most organisations these days who are thinking about this and are thoughtful about it have got resources, whether they be mental health first aiders or employee assistance programs or other helplines that people can be pointed towards. So they've got someone who knows a bit about the subject to be able to talk to them about. So I think a good employer would be particularly thinking about those more vulnerable people and making sure there was a mechanism for them to have access to those things and reminded of an access to those things. So perhaps in some of their general communications, just reminding everybody that those tools are available and those resources are available, I think would be particularly useful. Uh, for the community that we're talking about. That's a fascinating insight in, you know, about the, the parenting situation, of course, because vulnerable has taken on a whole new meaning during COVID, hasn't it? You, you're vulnerable, basically, uh, classified as a vulnerable person, if you're more likely to get COVID-19, if you're more likely, as a result of that, be hospitalised, if should you get it. That's what the new vulnerable term is. A lot of people in that category being very uncomfortable, being referred to as vulnerable. But, you know, that's another conversation for another day. But of course, what we're then forgetting about is people who are vulnerable, irrespective of COVID, and have an infrastructure and support mechanism around them that's been severely um, confused by the COVID-19 lockdown, not lockdown, bubbles, all of these kind of new terminologies and things that we just don't really understand. And that that's really been an eye-opener for me about the whole access to parenting 
you know, on an adult level. But of course, I mean, our daughter's home with us has been since the beginning. I know colleagues in the in the company who are in their 20s have, have chosen to be back at home to join lockdown to form part of that family bubble. And we're able to have the foresight to do that ahead of lockdown. But for people who didn't, it's very lonely out there, I think. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about it, often the people that best understand an, a grown-up autistic person is their parents who've actually lived through the experience of, of the challenges that they faced and the, the challenges of getting them into work and is perhaps the best support mechanism for that autistic adult. And if, as you say, you know, circumstances have meant that whilst they might be able to still speak to them, but perhaps not see them, you know, as I say, you know, a couple of people have said to me, they found that extremely depressing to an extent that, you know, they almost found it difficult to describe to me how difficult it was for them to be able to not have that personal interaction with the per- people that perhaps best understood them in the world. And, and and not be able to understand how, in some cases, depending on your personal circumstances, you're allowed to go out and have a pint now. I can understand the confusion, but we'll not get into that right now because we'll be here for a very long time. <laughs> but I mean I mean I have uh, one particular colleague a very high functioning intelligent neurodivergent uh, lady who's um, Asperger's and that's exactly what she said she said for her you know that just isn't just a matter of kind of shrugging the shoulders and saying oh well that's life for her it is just being so fundamentally distressing to not be able to rationalize in her head the situation you just described because to her it makes no sense and actually, if nobody can explain it to her, actually, that just makes her progressively get more and more depressed about the fact that she can't understand it. And she doesn't have an outlet to uh, to be able to discuss that with. So, you know, this this um, COVID-19 and this lockdown and, and where we might go in terms of working from home on a permanent or a semi-permanent basis going forward, you know, does have long term implications uh, for those that have hidden disabilities and particularly autism, uh, autistic people who have challenges that are just not easy for neurotypicals to understand or comprehend. No, of course. And I'm sure as well within that as well, Ian, we've got the key workers who've had to carry on, but also go to work, but not be able to come come back and, and have that parental um, support. So lots to think about there. And I'm, I'm sure that people listening, um, as I am to you talking, just feel like reaching out and wrapping your arms around people but of course that probably wouldn't be the right thing to do on lots of levels at the moment not necessarily for some of them but the the other thing to think about as well which which was um a really strong founding from my doctoral research which is quite significant to the conversation we're just having which is that quite a lot of autistic people have not disclosed their diagnosis to their current employers and so all the things we've been saying so far about what an employer can do to assist is predicated on the assumption that the person has declared and at least has somebody that understands. But a lot of autistic people have suffered elements of discrimination in previous employment or recruitment processes and therefore have been wary. In fact, one of the one of the, the people I've been talking to has not disclosed to her current employer that she is autistic. So all of the support things that we've just described, she can't naturally reach out for. No, certainly nobody will be being proactive about it. She's having to find um, the support in her own way. And, um, uh, you know, that's just added an extra layer uh, of challenge to her in terms of this current situation. So we mustn't forget about that. And my, my gut instinct, from certainly from the research I've ha- I have been doing, is that I think the levels of uh, experience of all forms of neurodiversity, uh, including autism, 
actually will turn out to be a higher proportion of our workforce than we currently give credit to, because I think there's a lot of people that have been masking and camouflaging their situation. And I think this this current lockdown will be really difficult for those people. And we need to, to need to recognise that. Thank you for that. And I think it's probably a great note to, to end this conversation, which I'm sure will continue at a later date. So from, from an autism perspective, as well as actually talking to lots of other people from different diverse groups and, and, and you know, particularly around, we've, we've heard from people who are trans at home and not at work and all of these kind of things that are being forced out into um, the discussion zone, as it were. But thank you so much for your insights. Any key point that you'd like to, to, to leave our audience with that says this is what you can do better tomorrow to summarize what can we all do better tomorrow or even starting today is if you have people that you're working with that maybe give any kind of indication of not being comfortable whether they're it's because they're autistic or any other uh, kind of uh, disability or difference actually reach out to them and um, and just take the time to have an open conversation. You know, don't close the conversation down too quickly. Just give them a a bit of breathing space and a bit of speaking space to say, is there something on their mind? Because there might just be, and you might just be able to unlock a problem for them just by listening. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And that's the end of Let's Be Clear for this week. joining us on let's be clear follow us on social media and subscribe to make sure you never miss a conversation if you would like to discuss anything mentioned in this podcast further please contact let's be clear at theclearcompany.co.uk accessible versions of this podcast can be found on the clear company youtube channel see you next time and thanks for joining us mm-hmm.